Joseph, this is your word. These are your people. They came to hear your voice. So give me the grace to get out of the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. New series. I love starting new series. Don't you love starting new series? Yeah, I love starting and finishing new series. And, and when you go into the number of series we have done in, in church over the last five years, over the last 15, 20, 25 years, those of you who have been with me, it's incredible what all we have covered. So this series is called The Imperatives. The Imperatives. In the English word, uh, it means commandments. It's another synonym for commandments. And uh, I'm starting this new series because I want us to be an obedient church. I want us to be a church of people, a community of people that knows God, loves God, and does as he says. I want to reinforce our foundations, go back to some of the basics, all right? So you know how I normally am quite inspirational? Uh, I want to be more instructional, more uh, motivational. I want to be more instructional and more informative with this series. So Coming out the other end of this series, you'll have a better understanding of the basics of what the gospel is, the basics of what the Lord Jesus has commanded us to do, right? So it's going to be boring. Two reasons. Number one, it's instructional. And number two, it's not about you. So I may throw in a joke every now and then, right? But that's just, you know, to, to make sure that your heart's still beating. All right, so I want you to really enjoy your walk with Jesus. I want people in my church, I want people in our church to really enjoy their walk with Jesus. Not a drudgery, sort of a religious, you know, far off kind of distant, uh, hand distance kind of relationship with God. I want you to enjoy it. I want to see your life bear much fruit. From the front row to the back row, I want to see every single person, even those of you online. I want to see your life absolutely flooded with fruit. Flooded with fruit, and that's only going to happen as the Lord God works through your life, and God's going to work in your life if you are obedient and if you are showing your love for God through that. So I want our church to be an obedient, loving, caring, authentic community. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Do you like those words? Loving, caring, obedient, authentic community. Don't walk into a community of a bunch of fakes. We are the same on Sunday as we are on Wednesday we're the same, I mean, better dressed hopefully, but we're the same on, uh, on Sunday than any time else. We are the same people. We are through and through. We have been a great commandment church. We have been a great commandment church. Do you remember love Jesus, love like Jesus? Yes? So I've taught that for three years and we've been working through that. And uh, for, the ma for the master and his mission, we've been a great commandment church. But we also need to be a great commission church. A great commission church. Going into all the world and... Preach the gospel, not room, room, room. Preach the gospel. <laughs> go, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And do what? Make disciples. So we want to be a great commissioned church. This is an introduction to the series. I haven't yet gotten to part one yet, but we're getting there. So we have been a great commandment church. I want us to be a great commissioned church. So this year, we are going to be ensuring that each of us is being a witness for the Lord Jesus, which means not just inspiration bunch of, you know, airtight uh, believers all, you know, uh, excited about something, but we don't know what it is. Uh, lots of fun in the worship, but no meat during the week. No substance during 
hard times. I, I want us to be strong. I want us to, this, this year we're going to be uh, a witness for Christ. And we are either going to take Christ to the lost or we're going to take the lost to Christ. Bring the lost to Christ. Okay? So let's look at how Jesus defines an authentic disciple. What does he think is an authentic disciple? And let's look at a benefit he attaches to that. What did I say? What does Jesus think is an authentic disciple and what uh, is a benefit attached sure, to that? All right. Here's what Jesus thinks. Whoever has, circle has my commandment and keeps them, take an interest, dive in, love the instruction until it loves you back. Whoever has my commandment and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Not flowers. Not sentiments, not hands held high in worship, not, you know, any antsy fancy sort of a sentimental kind of This is it. This is what Jesus thinks love is. Whoever has my commandments and does what? Keeps them. He it is who loves me. Now let's get down to business. And who loves me will be loved by my father. He it is who loves me. If what does it mean to love God? And then what does it mean for the Father to love me? And then what does it mean for Jesus to love me? You've got to become a student of this loving business. And you've got to get down to the two words in the Bible that are completely different to what you know from the world. Love and heart. These two words don't have the same meaning in the Bible that they do in the, in the world. On television, in magazines, in movies. Completely different. It's, it's like a different language. It's like a different, it's, it's a different context. You say love in the Bible, it means something. You say love in the world, it means something totally different. So we have got to understand where the parallel is and where we understand God's love for us, our love for God. Whoever what has my commandments, does what? Keeps them. That is loving God. Okay, he does love me. And if you love me by obeying my commandment, he who loves me, that is keeps my commandments, God's going to love him. Because he's keeping my commandments. Got it? And if God loves him, I will love him. If God's love, God loves him, I will love him. And if I love him, I'm going to do what? Say it with me. I'm going to manifest myself to him. What does manifest mean? Show you myself. Show you myself. Have some of you been going through a year, two years, five years, ten years, and you're not getting to know God any more than you did 20 years ago? God's not showing himself to you. Why is God not showing himself? Because some of us claiming to be Christians haven't taken the very first steps. Very first steps. We don't have the commandments and we're not keeping the commandments. We have got another set of things that we think are what a Christian should be doing. So we're holding on to that. We're thinking that's okay. That's good. That's what makes me a good person. That's what makes me a Christian. But the things that Jesus actually told me to do, I'm not doing that. So God, God, Jesus is not revealing himself to me. I don't know him any better than I did three years ago. That's the meat of the matter here. So there's two things. Number one, the definition and the benefit. Number one, what is the definition? It is to have and to keep the commandments. What is the benefit? If you love me, you'll obey me. If you obey me, my father will love you. If my father loves you, I will love you. And if I and my father love you, we both are going to show ourselves to you. You get to know us better. You get to know us better. We're going to welcome you into our inner world, into the Trinity, in the, in the positioned in Christ. You're going to get an inside preview to the future, to the purposes, to the sense in which God works. You heard the phrase in the Old Testament, to Moses, God showed him his ways. 
his works to the children of Israel. So, so the children of Israel, he showed them what he is doing, but to Moses, he showed them why he's doing what he's doing. And you know why Moses got that privilege. He, he communed with him. So if you are a disciple, what are the commands of Christ? What has God told you to do? It should roll off your tongue. You should just know it. I should poke you and you should come out. You should know it. If we're expecting to be obedient, if we're expecting to give, give an account to God, we should just be well-versed with what? The fundamental imperative. Say it with me. The fundamental imperative. Shouldn't we? If you call yourself a disciple of Christ, and start using that word instead of Christian, if you call yourself a disciple of Christ, as soon as I poke you, you should know, ah, got it. This is what he wants me to do. This is what he wants me to do. So these are the fundamental imperatives. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Here it is. Every week we'll knock one out. Number one, repent and believe. Number two, baptism. Number three, Lord's Supper and communion. Number four, love God, love others. Number five, prayer and spiritual warfare. Take him on, take the devil on, kick him in his butt. Sacrificial giving. Number seven, number six, number seven, make disciples. Get involved in disciple making. All right? So you take your notes, you do what you like with your notes, highlight. Scratch, draw, do what you have to do, but make sure that God speaks to you today. Let's begin with part one. Here we go. Don't worry, I'm not going to go for too long. The first one is turn and believe. I've not tried any fancy, fancy, uh, long slogans, things that rhyme. I just want to keep it the way Jesus said it. Turn and believe. Let's go to our text this morning. Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. So here's this verse of scripture. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe in what? The gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's get started. It's very significant that we begin with John's arrest. You know who John this is? John the Baptist, that's right. So we begin with John's arrest, and we want to understand it's significant that in terms of chronology, in terms of God's working, John's ministry has now come to an end, and Jesus' ministry has begun. John's ministry as the forerunner to Christ, make way, make way for the gospel, behold the lamb has come, right? His has come to an end, he's now been put in jail, and now Jesus takes over from there. Very important, significant moment, and we understand that in the way uh, Mark is putting this forward. This marks the end of John Baptist's ministry as the forerunner of the Messiah. And it marks the beginning of Christ's ministry. We don't exactly know exactly what moment, but that's it. It defines the three-year ministry prior to the crucifixion. So Jesus came to die for us. Yes, he did. But in the three years of ministry, why 10 years? Why not 10 years? Why not one year? In three years of ministry, what did Jesus want to do? What was his ministry? What was he going to do? Namely, he was going to answer give the gospel. He was going to preach the gospel. That is what he had come to do. So let's break up that verse and you can circle, highlight, indicate, do whatever asterisk said. Number one, the time is fulfilled. Okay. Now John was arrested. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Sometimes it's called the gospel of the kingdom. Sometimes it's called the gospel of Christ. Sometimes it's called the gospel of the New Testament, but he says the gospel of God. And what did Jesus say? Number one, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. I'll get back to this. Number two, the kingdom of God is at hand. Number three, repent. Number four, believe. Go back to the top. The time is fulfilled. This is, there are two words in the Greek for time. One is chronos. Does that sound familiar? 
chronology, Kronos, and the other one is not so familiar, Kairos, Kairos with a K. Kronos is clock. It's 14th of March. It is 10, 11 o'clock, right? That's Kronos. Kairos is now is your time to believe. Now is your time to decide. Now is your time to respond. Now is your time to avenge. That is Kairos. God's appointed time. He says the time is fulfilled. Kairos, this is the time. Why is this the time? Because Jesus has come. Why is now the time? Because Jesus has come. So what is so spectacular about the fact that Jesus has come in the flesh? It's because God has put an open door to his kingdom. He's put a door right in front of you. You didn't go find the door. This is not religion. You didn't go discover the door. This is not a philosophy. You didn't work for the door. This is not ritual. He put the door right in front of you. And the door was a flesh and blood man saying, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. Open the door. Come on in. Are you with me? You got this so far? So when Jesus speaks about that, you've got to ask, what's happening here? And we, we guys are like so calendar people. We're like, okay, that was the time. So that would be like 2021 know, years. No. Jesus is now, and from now on, the time has come. The time is now fulfilled. The time is complete. Okay? That's number one. Not Kronos, but Kairos. The time to make a decision for the kingdom. Listen to me. The time to make a decision for the kingdom. Before you couldn't, because I wasn't here. Now you can, because I'm here. Why, Jesus? Just a moment. Number two, the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand. In, in the original, that's another word of saying it's here. It's right in front of you. The kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is among you. Does that sound familiar? Yeah? Jesus used those language, that language with his disciples. He used that language in talking to people and responding to people. Talk about the kingdom of God. Talk about the kingdom. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God in the three years. And we have to ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? And the kingdom of God is not of this world. He told us that too. So it is the rule of God made possible and available to you through the presence and person of the Lord Jesus, who is now here, therefore it has just begun. Let's begin. Let's walk into the kingdom of God. You're being offered citizenship into the kingdom of God based on one condition and one condition alone, that you come through Christ. He is the door. He is the way. So Jesus is announcing, preaching these four things. Number one, he says, the time is fulfilled. Kairos. God's time has come. Number two, the kingdom of God is here. It is near you. It is an, he's talking about you. He's talking, sorry, sorry, he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. It is a spatial sort of meaning where Christ is near you. He's in, in, in front of you. And it's also a, a sort of a prophetic timing where the end times is now beginning. It's ushering the end, the last chapter in God's plan of action. And for those of you who have been with me in Revelation, and if you've read Daniel, you'll get a little bit of that. So number one, time is fulfilled. Number two, kingdom of God is at hand. Number three is where we get to the meat of today's thing. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent. Change your mind. Change your course. Turn around. Change your mind. Change your course. Turn around. Number two, believe. Believe the gospel. What does that mean? Place your faith in what you're hearing. Acknowledge it is true. Develop a conviction about the gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel? Good question. Develop a conviction about it. 
If Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God unto my salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. You can't just go around, I like gospel, gospel is very nice. You can't have like a, sorry, you know, a half-hearted feeling towards the gospel. It has got to be as much of a conviction as it, is, it was for Paul. Believe the gospel, place your faith, acknowledge truth, develop a conviction because it makes you a citizen of the kingdom of God. God has made it possible for you to enter into his kingdom, for you to be part of his family simply by you believing the gospel. So you jolly well better know what the gospel is and what believing means. Does that make sense? I mean, if there's two things we should know and we should be able to explain and it should roll off our tongues is what is the gospel and what does it mean to believe? That believing is not agreeing with, believing is not giving assent to, believing is not nodding ahead. I think that's okay. Believing is not, yeah, I know it's true, but you know, but also, nah, nah. So these two things have to be the pillars of our life, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. They cannot be opinions, they have to be convictions. You hold an opinion, but a conviction holds you. So we want defining, we want clarity, we want theological clarity, we want theological accuracy, okay? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. The apostle Paul summarizes the most basic ingredients of the gospel message. He says, it's the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the appearance of the resurrected Christ. You got that? This is the gospel in a nutshell. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the appearance. Let me show you where it is. Notice how the word that comes before a purpose clause, okay? Uh, 15 verse 1. 15 verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, okay? I want you to know what is the gospel I preached. That you received, not just what I said, but how you received it. On which you stand, now you stand on that gospel, by which you are being saved, now you are saved by that gospel. So I preach that gospel, you receive the gospel, you stand on that gospel, and you are saved by that gospel. You jolly well know what the gospel is. You better know what the gospel is. A Christian who doesn't know what the gospel is, is not a Christian. A Christian who doesn't believe in the gospel with all his heart is not a Christian. He's not a disciple of Christ. We begin right there. So he says this in verse 2, and by which you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, here's the meat, here's the meat, get into it. For I passed on to you as our first importance what I also received, what? That, got it? That? Say it with me, nice and loud. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Number 2, he was? He was buried, according to to the scripture, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scripture. Number four, he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, that's the other word for Peter, then also to the rest of the twelve. Okay? Pastor Jeremy, why, why the last part? I don't get the last part. And anyway, what are the four things here? What is the basic thing in the gospel that Paul is saying? Number one, that Christ died for our sins. That doesn't sound like good news to me. Does it sound like good news to you? Christ died for our Sins. That's the worst thing to start off a love relationship with. That's terrible news. I mean, like Good Friday. That doesn't even make sense. What happened on Good Friday? Jesus died. It's very morbid. Let's be honest. So, if you're saying it's the gospel, explain the gospel. 
If you're saying this is the good news, be able to, it should roll off your tongue. What is good about this news? What is the good news in this text? Okay, let's begin. I'll give it to you. You note it down. You memorize it. You tell somebody that Christ died for our sins. That's good news. Why? Because Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, all have sinned and fallen what? Short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, for the wages, the result, the payment, the result of sin is? Ooh. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is? eternal life, right? So how is it good news? It means that if Jesus died, I don't have to. Two people can't die for my sin. So if someone got to it before me, if someone loved me enough to get to it before me, if someone picked up the bill before I could see it, if someone saw the damage and fixed it before I could note it, before I could suffer from it, that's love. What's the good news? That Jesus died for my sin. If the wages of sin is death, and the death has already been taken care of, then the gift of God is eternal life. You're going to die, and you are dead in sins. So anyone who, die, anyone who disobeys God is dead, separated from God forever and ever. But if Christ took that death, here's the good news, you don't have to. Because God never punishes twice. God never punishes twice. My maths teacher did, but God <laughs> never punishes twice. Number two, that he was buried. How is that good news? That he was buried. In Christ, in Christ, a sinful Adam was returned to the dust. Ashes to ashes, Adam to dust. That's great news. In Christ, so Jesus came in the flesh. He came as in the form of Adam, but not from Adam. Are you thinking with me? Jesus came in the form of a man, but not from that man. Because from that man came the curse of sin. Jesus came in the form, but not from his loins. And therefore, he retained his deity and he was holy and he then took flesh on and buried that flesh and Adam was done. And he rose again on the third day, not as a risen Adam, but as Christ. So Adam is finished. He's dissipated into dust and Jesus is alive forevermore. We are from Adam and in Christ we die. And we are, the old Adam is done, and in Jesus' resurrection, we rise again, and we are now in Christ, alive forevermore. That is the good news of the burial. That's the good news of the burial. You look at the burial and say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But his spirit is going to the Father. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. So that's how you present your belief in the gospel. You go and you get baptized. That's how you show your identity or your identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. So like Jesus died a real death, physical death, you go into the water. 
And we're going to talk about baptism separately, go into the water. But when you come out, you're like, along with Adam, my Adam is dead. Along with Jesus, Christ is now alive in me. That is the power of the burial and the story of the burial in the gospel. Number, f- number three, number three, what is the third phrase? That he was raised to life, that he was raised to life. Christ conquered death and rose with a glorious body, not Adam's body, but a glorious body, a body that can say no to sin, a body that can live in heaven, a body that can do the will of God, a body that is not a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. Christ conquered death and rose with a glorious body. How is this good news? 2 Corinthians 4 verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised, who's the one? That's God the Father. The one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead is going to do the same thing all over again. If he did it for Jesus, he's going to do it for me. He says that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead would also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself. If he's going to present up to himself, where's it going to be? It's going to be in heaven. If it's going to be in heaven, how's it going to be? Perfect. I'm going to be perfect. I already think I'm perfect, but I'm going to be more perfecter. That's just a joke. Ask my wife, I'm not perfect. You get the point? Isn't that assurance that you're going to heaven? He's going to present you to God the Father in heaven. That means you're not going to be a sinful Adam. You're going to be a holy like Christ. A holy one like Christ. You're a decaying Adam. You're going to be a new person in Christ. That is the gospel. The gospel is all about the future. The gospel is about sin taken care of. The gospel about, is about the fact that you're friends with heaven now. Not enemies with heaven. The gospel is not about you. The gospel is not about this world. The gospel is not about a philosophy of living. The gospel is not about coping with life. The gospel is not about some reward or some blessing that you could claim or you could quote a formula and get it here on earth. Those are wrong teachings on television. Those are wrong, which some of you believe. And you read the books of some of these people. Those are wrong teachings. The gospel is all about heaven. And Christ is concerned with heaven. You can't do me. You can't touch me if God the Father hadn't given you the ability. My kingdom is not of this world. If I wanted, I could say, and a legion of angels would come down, and they'd say, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Because right now, I'm here because my Father wants me to be here. i got a job to do. I'm here for that. Jesus emptied himself, but his kingdom was of another world. The gospel is about saying, there is a kingdom that's going to be forever. You have a shot because the door is standing right in front of you. If you will believe that door, take his hand, you will get instant citizenship into eternity. And hell is being outside of that kingdom forever and ever and ever. With those who are enemies to that kingdom forever and ever and ever. You see what I'm saying here? I'm saying if you believe the gospel, you should be able to define it. You should be able to define it. Let's go over it again. Number one, it is that Christ died for our sins. How is that good news? Well, you don't die twice. If Jesus already died, he beat me to it. I am never going to see meet the death, my death. I'm never going to meet my death. Number two, that he was buried. Well, if Adam's been taken care of, I am now risen in Christ. If I was in Adam, that's over. I'm a new person. Number three, that I was raised to life. 
that I was given the resurrection that Jesus was given the same way. Number four, that he was seen by many witnesses. If you're asking, oh, I'm the biggest critic ever. I'm a skeptic. Who saw Jesus? This is all a big story. It's all a fable. I don't believe you. Who saw Jesus? Thousands of people saw him. Hundreds of disciples who knew him saw him. And it is imperative to understand, it is absolutely essential to understand that the fact that witnesses saw the risen Christ is fundamental to the gospel. Did you understand that part? Please don't miss that part. Fourth, that Paul thinks is fundamental to the gospel is the fact that Jesus rose again and people saw him. They saw him. They met him. They had fish with him. They had fish with the risen Christ. We're not messing around here. It's not that we heard he moved to Tibet. And he left footprints. Because they look strikingly familiar. No? They met him. They hung out with him for weeks. And they saw him go up. And then two angels scared the mess out of them and told them, you saw the same Jesus going, he's going to come in the same way. Stop staring up like that, you'll get a sprain. Now go, tell everybody else. It is good news, number one, that Christ died for us. Number two, that he was buried. Number three, that he rose again. And number four, that people saw the risen Christ. They saw the risen Christ. Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, this is how imperative, uh, this is how, how critical the resurrection is to your salvation and mine. If Christ has not been raised, is that on your screens? Yes. If Christ has not been raised, then <laughs> this whole service is a joke. All of this preaching is a joke. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your Adam. You're still in your sin. You're still under the condemnation and the curse of Adam. You have not been lifted. Adam's not dead yet. Everything is still on, still stuck. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life, here on this life only, if the gospel is only about my life, my wife, my car, my house, my blessings, my joy, my sorrows, my, my portions, my claim, my name, Are you sensing the sarcasm? If the gospel is just this life, then look at what Paul thinks. We are of all people most pitied. Pathetic. If you thought the gospel is about this life. The gospel prepares you for eternity. The gospel prepares you for death. Because of what Jesus has done for me, I can die today. I can die today as a success. There's nothing wrong with death. There's nothing bad about death. Because Jesus rose again, the story of death completely changed. Death is no more a matrix sort of a hole in the wall and we don't know what's that side. It is now a door with a hand reaching out. Come, I've come from there. I'll take you back there. My father is there and there are mansions and the kingdom of God is like this, 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 and the kingdom of God, oh boy, I've got so much to tell you, but I'd rather show you, come with me. In other words, God is holy, but God is 
merciful. Gospel. We have sinned, but there is forgiveness. Gospel. Adam failed, but Christ was faithful. Gospel. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Gospel. I was a slave to sin, but now I can say no to his grace enabling. With his grace enabling. My body will rest in the dust. My body will rest in the dust, but my spirit will be raised to everlasting life, to life everlasting. That, my friends, is the gospel. It's all about being right with God and going to heaven. It's about making a decision for heaven right here on earth. I said it's about making a decision for heaven right here on earth. It's about deciding whose kingdom you will submit to and who will be the Lord and King of your life. That's why I'm saying from 14 to 84, you can make that decision. You can decide who's going to be the boss, the king, the ruler of your life. And you could decide who's, who, who gets your worship. Who gets your worship? Who gets the worship of your... Somebody's going to get it. But this way you get to decide who gets the worship. So Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. You see the gospel, it says nothing about going to church. Thank you for coming. But it says nothing about going to church. It says nothing about being a good human being. It says nothing about keeping rituals and regulations and observing this and observing that. It says nothing about denominations. It just says nothing about cultural redemption and cultural contextualization. It has everything to do with my father, my father, my father, my father, my father, my father. Come, come, I want to be, I, I love my father. I've got to do exactly that. I've come for you to know my father. If you want to know my father, you can know me. If you know me, you know my father. Come be with my father. My father wants you. My father sent me for you. My father's, my, my father's house is many. Uh, uh, come meet my father. That's the gospel. So when you give the gospel to a person, you're not converting them from some religion to Christianity. You're telling a child of God to come back home. Change your way of thinking. When you give the gospel, you're not changing someone's faith. You're telling them, God who has loved you more than anything else would like to take your life and make it a blessing. God wants to write, out, write off everything you've ever done wrong. And God wants to wash you clean with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So that though you may be red as crimson, red like blood, you will become white as snow. That's the gospel. Why are we not sharing the gospel? Because we ourselves don't know what it is. We ourselves are stuck in a stupid way of thinking that it is a proselytizing, that is changing religions, that is, uh, you know, all of that. We've got to understand what the gospel has become. Become absolutely, make it a conviction. So turn and believe. The word repent means to turn and the word repent means and, it, and to believe. So what should a person turn from? His own moral standard and definition of moral, morality to God's moral standard and his definition of morality. Okay? I think I'm a good man. By whose standard? By my standard. But I need to abandon my standard of my morality because I am not God. And I need to adopt God's morality, God's standard of morality because he's the absolute. He's a holy. I am not. And in, there, in, in that picture, in that, in that understanding, you are admitting that you are fallen, that you are a sinner. And there's nothing wrong with that. So what should I turn from? I should turn from both my morality, my standard of morality, and rationalizing my actions to God's morality, to God's standard, to God's holiness, 
and judge myself in the light of God's holiness. What should a person believe in? What should a person believe in? When you believe the gospel, what exactly are you believing in? I mean, look at it. If I just believe this, I'm going to be saved. If I believe this, I'm going to go to heaven. Come on. People are working their whole life to do that. People are, are, are being religious. People are putting, they're fasting. They are, they are sincerely seeking God. They're doing all sorts of things under the face of the earth just to get what you get by just believing. This better be solid. This better be solid. What do I get from believing? Number one, Christ took my sin on himself and faced death for me. That's what you believe. Death was coming my direction. Of What do they call those destruction balls? A wrecking ball was coming my way. And Jesus took the hit for me. Number two, Christ rose from the grave to live to advocate for me. So not only can I, do I know and believe that Jesus died, now Jesus is alive to tell everybody that he died for me. And that I believe. And number three, that Christ is the rightful heir and Lord of my life. What do I believe when I believe the gospel? I believe that Jesus is the rightful heir and Lord. I mean, if he saved me and if he bought me and if he redeemed me, he is worthy of my life for as long as I live. The younger you are, the more years you have ahead of you to serve him. Do it now. Kairos, make your decision now. Walk in through the door into his kingdom now. You're going to serve somebody through your whole life. Choose who you serve now, now, now. Today is the day of salvation. So what's the imperative here? If we're talking about imperatives, if we're talking about commands, what's the command here? Well, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, and I'm done with this. If you declare with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead. If you declare, if you believe, you shall be saved. You shall be saved. Just on the confession of this faith, by declaring that Jesus Christ is in fact Lord, and by declaring that, uh, believing in your heart that, yep, he rose from the dead, that means he died for me, that means my sin is covered, I will be saved. Saved from what? From the wrecking ball that's coming my way. Call it hell, call, call it what you The judgment of God is coming my way, and Jesus took the hit, because you don't die twice for one sin. So make a decision. Call him Lord. That's the imperative. A disciple of Jesus follows Christ by obeying his commandments. And commandment number one is submit and call him Lord. If you haven't done that, you haven't even begun to follow Jesus. Make a decision. Call him Lord. That's the starting point. Nobody's born a Christian. Let me just bust that myth for you. You were just born. You were just born in a hospital. You're just born a human. But you're not born a Christian. Nobody's born a Christian. You're born again. And that makes you a Christian. So you can't be Christian by your first birth. You have to be Christian by your second birth. When you're born again into God's family. How is it imperative? When you scream out and say, do this, grab my hand. Grab my hand. I'll save you. I'll save you. Grab my hand. That's a command. That's an imperative. And the first command is grab my hand. Let me save you. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, don't walk away from here without some sort of a uh, academic, cognitive, as well as emotional response to God, to what he's saying here. Either you're saying, I, I never heard this before, maybe I, I, I need to take the first step. I need to recognize that Christ is my doorway to God's kingdom. I didn't know that. Uh, maybe you're saying, I didn't understand the gospel. I, I didn't know that I was supposed to be a custodian of the gospel. Maybe you're thinking, I knew the gospel, I didn't quite believe it. Maybe you're thinking, I want to share the gospel. This is good news. I've got to tell people. I've got to let people.